welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. This tape is produced in the spirit of Essay's 12th step to carry the message. Members of the fellowship should bear in mind Essay's 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films in the use of this tape. Anonymity to this respect is actually the practice of genuine humility. We assure that humility expressed by anonymity is the greatest safeguard that SA could ever have. My name is William, and I'm a sexaholic. Hi, William. Uh, please join us after a moment of silence for those who still suffer in prison or um, out of prison and are facing legal consequences. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom of deliverance. Thy will, not mine, be done. This meeting is um, the title is to the prisoner who is still suffering. Um, My name is William. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober since June 12, 1993, and I have had the privilege over the last uh, about two years chairing the Corrections Committee of Sexaholics Anonymous, which um, goes by the uh, initials SACC. Our meeting, um, we have... Uh, four members on our panel uh, this morning. Two of the members have served time in prison. One member has um, been going consistently over a period of months to a meeting of SA that's held in a prison. And the fourth member has been serving as an SACC representative, which is a person that our committee has as a contact for his area or state. Um, the breakdown of our time will be, we'll be giving a bit more time to each of the, uh, to the two members who have served time in prison, and then a, a briefer time to the uh, last two panel members, and then we'll open it up for any questions uh, from uh, the people who are attending this meeting or any comments from people uh, who are doing the work, who are attending the meeting. We will also have available to um, uh, the membership here um, uh, an SACC literature packet, which has a couple of stories of members who have served time in prison, as well as the forms we use at this present time to to make the to, to carry the message, one of which, for example, is a, a literature request form that 
that prison officials or inmates may use to request literature from the central office. One is an SACC representative form, which people interested in this work and willing to be a contact for our committee can fill out. If you yourself aren't interested in this work but would be um, uh, interested in taking the the packet back to someone in your group or area that is might be interested or to your inner group, that would help us. So um, with that, I'm going to let each of the members of the panel introduce themselves and um, share with you. My name is uh, Harry M. I'm uh, a grateful recovering uh, sexaholic. Uh, as William just said a few minutes ago, uh, I'm one who's experienced uh, prison life, and uh, I'll explain how I got there, and uh, what things were like then and what they are like now, and uh, how things have changed. I come from a, just a regular, If I'm a Canadian, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, I was brought up in the Ottawa Valley in Ontario from a regular, ordinary Irish family, uh, elderly parents. Uh, they didn't expect children. And uh, I and my sister arrived rather unexpectedly, not really planned. But we, so they were just, a, I was brought up in a very ordinary, regular uh, farm, farming community with uh, two wonderful old parents, but a dad who did not know, really know how to be a dad. At any rate, I grew up normally. I was a sort of a weak child, sickly child. And uh, at the just as I got into my teens, uh, one of the difficulties with my my health was the fact that I had a non-functioning kidney, and eventually got removed, and I got I got better. But always because of that, I was small and I was uh, always weak. I always had a very low esti estimation of myself. I was over an overachiever. I, whatever I undertook, I did, and I did well. And um, a very much a head person rather than a heart person. I was, of course, um, finally, as I grew uh, at the age of 18, left home. I left home uh, under rather difficult situation. Uh, I, my father did not agree at all. It was more like my grandfather, really, than my dad. He was an older man. And so I left and uh, went to university, put myself through for a year, and then, and then entered into a religious order. I decided, well, perhaps maybe the priesthood would be for myself. <clears throat> so I entered a religious order, did very, very well, in it, I was finally ordained and uh, was also ordained with a certificate as a teacher. So, uh, being a religious order, you're never, you're, you never choose where you're to go, you're sent. So I was sent to Western Canada, to an, a northern interior of British Columbia as the vice principal of a native school, a residential school for Indian people. Uh, it was a, a tremendous cultural shock for me. I wasn't really prepared for it, but at the same time undertook it with all the vigor that I had. And also I was uh, 
uh, a missionary to to some of the remote areas whenever I was able to get there. While there, um, um, that's where my sexual acting out began. I did I didn't really sexually uh, act out at all until I was about oh, 21. That's when I first learned to masturbate, and it was the the bane of my existence for so many years until just recently. But it it was one of those things that I just sort of accepted. It, I was a binger that way. In other words, I'd go for months, so everything was okay, and then look out. And then I'd masturbate, and things would fall apart for about another month or so, and then get things together again, always on my own um, willpower. While I was in the school though I ran into um, another habit that that eventually brought me to to imprisonment. I became uh, sexually active with some of the young native boys that were in the school. It was a residential school, in other words, a school where we all lived very, very close together. I knew that this was wrong. I did not know the moral, I knew the moral implications. There was great sorrow, great uh, remorse. And this uh, sexual acting out lasted for a year and a half. And then I myself then asked for a, um, a transfer, knowing that this was not going to go anywhere and I had pretty well, had done all the good that I possibly could there and I had done a lot of harm as well. But try to put it behind me and then got into active ministry in, in other parts of the, of the province. Some with native peoples because of my knowledge of them, but also in, in parishes. Masturbation was very much part of my life at that time. Uh, it was one of the, the difficulties of my life. And so, with spiritual direction and so forth, you know, did strive to do as the very best I could. About exactly 12 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, exactly this month, I was arrested because some of my victims uh, 30 years previous had themselves been convicted. And so I was, my name came up and I was finally arrested and charged with 17 counts of pedophilia. Um, I pleaded guilty and was incarcerated for two years and three years of uh, of uh, pro- uh, probation. In prison, um, in Canada, we we really believe in restorative justice. That that's part of the principle of our justice system in Canada. It doesn't work all that well. But we try, and we, we really do. I'm aware of that now, and I do work on it, and work in restorative justice for our, our, our correction system. But when I went to prison, the very first time I went in, I was put into maximum. They they had no place to classify me. I was a public figure. I was well-known. Uh, there was a lot of publicity they were very, very concerned about my own safety. Uh, 
And so I was put, first of all, in a, uh, just a holding area in the interior of British Columbia. Um, that was a terrific shock. Uh, I was badly treated there and, and beaten up. And uh, eventually, I uh, eventually had to be put into PC, uh, protective custody, uh, where I remained in a cell for 23 hours and out for an hour, and always out for that hour to get a shower and a little exercise, always under the scrutiny of a, of a guard for my own safety. That was the worst part, the worst time of my life. But then eventually I got reclassified and then was sent to a maximum for a while, and again protective custody, and then finally got into a medium prison, a place called Mountain, which is a sex offender uh, prison uh, in the interior of our province. Um, it's a federal prison because I had received two years, so therefore that isn't a, what you'd call here a state or or a provincial prison. This was a federal prison. Um, in in that whole process of of that place, it was the first time that I knew what it meant to be a sex offender because everyone there, all 480 of us were sex offenders of one way or another, uh, some with two years, some with 20 years, some with life. Uh, that's where I first met S.A., just by accident. The the part of our that particular prison system is the fact that the the inmates themselves were able to get together and we were able to have what we call sex offender programs for ourselves. We were not allowed to have more than 20 at any particular group. So there were two groups. And mostly were done with most of us who were trying their, our best to do something about this, trying to learn what had really happened to us. Was there any hope for our recovery? Or was this the end? Uh, I was a priest. I'd lost everything, absolutely everything. Uh, I belonged to a religious order. They were the ones that supported me. I had a few friends that did, but I lost my family pretty well and still have. And um, in the group that I was in, it was a sex offender group. It, it, it was a sort of a therapy group with a therapist, a prison, usually just a prison guard or two, or a couple of case managers but very, with very little knowledge. So we sort of struggled through this. And we began to try to figure out whether we could bring outsiders in. And one of the outsiders that was brought in was a man by the name of Murray. And he came in with the big book, or with the white book. And it was the first time I'd seen a white book. And we sat in a group like this for a couple of hours one evening, and he talked about the SA program. By the way, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I, by the, when I went into prison, I had 18 years sobriety. So I knew about the 12 steps, and there was a bit of hope and a glimmer of hope for me. But we could not get the program started in prison. First of all, we would have to admit to our sexaholism and, and when you're in prison, you never, ever admit to anything. If you're a murderer, you're not. And you, you never tell anyone what you're there for. 
It's none of their business. And you know what you're there for. Your class worker, your, your case manager knows what you're there for. But your fellow inmates, it's none of their business. But as we, as we got into our small groups, we began to realize what, for the first time I was able to share with someone else what I was doing there, what I had done, what had happened to me, what brought me there. But we could not get essay started. We tried. We had A going full tilt. NA was very, very, very popular in this particular prison because many of the individuals there were lifers. They were short-termers like myself, but the, most of them were lifers. We dearly wanted to get SA started, but we could not. There were just too many obstacles. We just The individuals themselves uh, said, no, we, we, we can't do this. What will happen to us with the other, our, our fellow inmates? Uh, this will probably be talked about a little later on today as well, this meeting. But I read the, the book. And I kept the book and the book I still have with me. I, it's one of the older ones, so, okay. When I got out of prison, uh, I was on parole and being on, on probation, rather, I went to a sex offender group, which is mandatory, and I went to it for three years. At the end of the th- that three years, I was no better off than I was four or five years previous to that, because all I heard was the pain and no solution. My own pain and no solution. I was very fortunate in the fact that I also returned to my religious order and they saw my pain and they saw the difficulty. And one of the things that I did do, I drank again after 18 years of sobriety, 19 years of sobriety. Maybe that was a cry for help because within 10 days, I was well on my way to St. Luke's Institute in Washington, D.C. And it was there that I I ran into SA, became a very, very staunch member of SA, still am. Was there for nine months, came back to Vancouver, and found that there was SA there. Also tried to locate Murray, which I had, and met others. And I am now a, a regular a member of the SA program. Uh, what do we do as a group? Do we do it? We have 14... Uh, uh, institution, correctional institutions in our area. Some of them federal, some of them provincial. There is nothing being done to, to, to bring SA into those, into those institutions except a few of us who write. We can connect with prisoners that are there. Also, I personally connect with several people in the halfway houses when they come out. Do we have many, uh, ex-cons in SA? I'm the only one. It's a hard road. It's a very difficult road. The reason is that uh, as, a, as, as an ex-con or as, as, as they say, you know, my life is past, it's over, I don't want to rehash it. Not realizing that they are very sick. They're, they're no longer convicts. They're no longer ex-cons. They're not bad people. They're just people that were incarcerated because of a disease, because of what they did, and they had to be they had to be accountable to to the people that 
of the community in prison is one way of making us accountable. Uh, but as I say, that our prison system is 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 trying and still searching. But again, it's it's an uphill uh, uphill climb. Um, I'm so happy to be here, and I've been so happy to be asked to, to to be on the panel because it makes me more convinced of the work that has to be done in my own home group. And we have we have the facilities all around us, and yet again, you know, we have I personally have to look outside of myself. So I do I do connect with quite a few, but it's to get them to an AA meeting. That's the great difficulty or to an SA meeting, is to get them to be able to be comfortable and trusting enough to be able to tell others the worst things that they can imagine. So thanks, William, and uh, thank you. My name is John, and I'm a sexaholic. Hi, John. Uh, a member of the SACC National Committee just need to take a moment, please, to to just ask God to be with me and to remember that I've made a decision to turn my life and my will over to Him and to ask Him to be allow me to be a vessel through which He pours out His words and what He needs people to hear. Thank you. Amen. As I said, I'm John and I'm a sexaholic. But it wasn't always that way. I used to be 93B2532. I spent three years in a New York State maximum security prison. My experiences there were very similar. It wasn't a very nice place to be. You were treated differently because even in prison, there's a hierarchy uh, the pedophile is the lowest piece of scum in a prison and everybody else just will do anything and everything to to make life miserable for them my first year of prison uh, was meaningless I did nothing to improve myself I was Scared most of the time, afraid to go out to the yard, afraid to do much of anything. And then I appeared in front of my first parole board uh, with, with a, a genuine belief that I was going to be released from prison after a year and a half. <clears throat> and it was extremely scary when I faced that three-person panel, two men and a woman. And the woman was the chairman of that particular panel. And uh, she asked me if I thought I was ready to be paroled. And I said, yes. And she said, you mean that you're ready to go out and abuse another child, don't you? And I wasn't quite prepared for that. And I kind of stammered and stuttered through the rest of the interview, and uh, when I got the letter from the parole board three days later, my parole was denied. And some of the reasons that it was denied for, that I had not done anything to improve myself, that uh, 
I was the same predator the day I met the parole board as the day that uh, I came in, entered prison, and uh, that I had done nothing to rehabilitate myself. Even though I was in a program that was called the Motivational Confrontation Confrontation, Motivation, Behavior Modification Plan, where, um, you know how it says in our literature, you know, leave out the gory details. Well, murderers and robbers and <clears throat> gunmen and whatnot would come up to you and they would remind you of all the gory details of your crime. And the psychiatrist and the deputy superintendent that ran the program would leak that information out. Because that was supposed to change your behavior by confronting you with those gory details. That was supposed to modify your behavior and make you a model citizen. Um, it didn't do anything for me except drive me further into myself and uh, fill me with even more fear. After that first board, I had found some literature that some inmates were using. And uh, it was called Sexaholics Anonymous. And in one of the books, I found an address of uh, Simi Valley, Simi Valley, uh, California. And so I wrote to that uh, address. And <clears throat> within a short time, I got a letter back from from a Martha, who apparently was uh, chairman of the SACC at that time. But the reply came from Nashville, Tennessee. You know, and that kind of confused me. I didn't understand how that happened. And, but I, I got the information. Along with the information was a list of intergroups. And as I looked through it, Rochester, New York, uh, which is near where I live, it's only 17 miles. It's in a different county, but it's only 17 miles from where I live. Um, so I wrote to this Rochester intergroup. And within a short time, I received a letter from a Steve S. <clears throat> and the thing that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, impressed me the most, that he wrote back to me using his business stationery. He gave me his home address and his home phone number and told me that I could put him on my calling list and uh, offered to to write to me if I were willing to do the 12 steps and and write them out, and we would do this through the mail. Well, I was just amazed at his courage. I, I couldn't believe that anybody would, would write and, and give me his work address, and, his, and, and that's really what impressed me. Uh, things I didn't like about Steve was... Uh, he made me write out those 12 steps. <laughs> he he wouldn't accept anything less. And uh, during the time that, that I was writing those out, uh, I, I could see me. I could really, really see me. It's, <clears throat> it's down on paper, and, it, and it's pretty hard to deny. You know, I, I was a, a pretty good con man. And I could rationalize and justify and deny most anything. But it, when it's there in your own script, it's, it's much harder to do. You know, you know you've said that and you know it's the truth. And, and you gotta remember, 
the world's smartest man, me, was writing his 12 steps from a prison cell. So I couldn't have been all that smart, you know. But anyways, we, we got through those, through those steps, uh, writing them out through the mail. Um, I was released from prison on my second parole board. I made my second parole board. In the interim, I, uh, because the parole board had told me I had done nothing to rehabilitate myself, there was an opportunity to become a law clerk. And uh, I was in a maximum security prison that housed 3,000 inmates. And there's only 10 law clerks. And there was a need for two more law clerks. And you had to take this course. I um, can't remember. It was something like uh, 18 or 24 weeks. And then you would take a test. And the two highest people on that test would, would fill in those two slots. So to... In the beginning, it was just to con the parole board and to show them, well, I'm doing something to show you that I rehabilitated myself and that that I'm worthy to be out in public again. But as fate would have it, I passed that test, and and I was one of the two top uh, people that passed, and I became a law clerk. Well, that changed my whole status in prison, even though I was a pedophile. You've got to remember, there's three thousand men. And only 10 law clerks. And in the housing unit that I was in, was Building 11, uh, there is approximately 82 men living in a dorm situation, you know, a, a bunk and then a, a board as thick as this uh, table here, and then another bunk and then another board that thick, and, and so on, to have all these what they call cubes. And that got me a room. I had a room with a view. I looked out in the north yard, you know. <laughs> but now, instead of being a pedophile that everybody hated, they probably still hated me, but I was somebody they needed because they had no access to the law library unless I was the one that went there to do the work for them. Um, I got involved with, with a group uh more commonly known in prison as a gang. They were the Latin kings. Uh, but they they uh, were willing to pay. And I told them I didn't want any money. I said, you know, but I get a little scared walking out in the yard sometimes. They said, you do this work for us and you'll never be afraid in the yard again. You know? And I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, did, I did work for them. But then there again, some self-worth. Started, I, I realized that, that I was really doing some things to help some people, but I also realized that some of these so-called, you know, good guys in prison because they were gangsters or productions. Well, anyways, I got out of prison uh, on October 2nd, 1996, and... Um, did not go to a meeting until October 13th, or October 17th. But on October 12th, the family I was living with invited me to go to the mall with them. At that point, I had been sexually sober since January 3rd, 1993. I had not been to a meeting since I got out, even though I had Steve's name, address, phone number, meeting list, and... Uh, on October 12th, went to the mall with these church friends, and 
Today I know why. At that time it just amazed me that all of a sudden I ended up over in the lingerie section and over by the perfume counter, you know. And then that night the, the sights and the sounds and the aromas overtook me and I masturbated. Uh, went to my first meeting four days later, fully intending to lie. Um, but the first man in uh, Geneva, a little small meeting there, to speak, admitted to two or three days of sexual sobriety. The next man to speak is now my sponsee, and he's in prison. He admitted to about a week or so of sobriety. And I said, these, these guys are telling the truth, you know. Because I fully intended to say January 3rd, 1993. But I admitted to October 13th. And uh, from that day to this, to the strength of this fellowship and the grace of God, I have not found it necessary to act out with anyone else or myself. Truly grateful for this program and many other changes. As you can tell, I'm long-winded. I could say a lot more. But I've been given the cutoff signal and... Uh, I will respect that. Uh, I need to do that today. So thank you very much. Hi, I'm Tom, a recovering sexaholic. I'm one of the volunteers who just started going into uh, a state prison in uh, February 1st of this year, of the year 2000. Um, The essay uh, was introduced into the state prison in northwestern uh, Pennsylvania um, last uh, November, and by an old AA member, he uh, got a hold of the uh, our white book or manual, and uh, was reading that and said, "Whoa, wow, this is good stuff!" And so he started uh, the essay meeting right there with the help of one of our own members who was going there for another type of work as a volunteer. And so then uh, uh, this uh, member of SA uh, started asking for volunteers to go uh, to the uh, state prison. I'd always wanted to do that years ago, you know, kind of one of these ideal things. I'm going there to help uh, prisoners. And uh, with this high idealism, uh, of course, uh, once I lost my sobriety, because I think they had a year year sobriety uh, requirement, and once I did that, well, that went by the wayside for a while. And so I was really grateful that now I had enough sobriety to go there. Uh, four of us uh, uh, from Erie uh, signed up to be volunteers, and one of the big issues for me, anyone here trying to look to become a future volunteer to go in prison work? Anyone here thinking about it? Three of you? Four? Five? Six? Seven, and, and the rest of you are here for, you're already doing it? Good. Two of you are already doing it, and the rest of you here are thinking down the road to doing it, uh, or wanting to become one of what these guys went through. Uh, uh, what's that? Oh, this close. You're right. Um, well, one of the issues was, what about this clearance issue? You know, and about anonymity and all that. That was a big fear uh, for me and for all of us. Uh, luckily, I'm sure each state is different and uh, each prison probably is different. Uh, but uh, the clearance uh, went pretty good. They didn't ask a whole lot of uh, particular questions. Uh, 
I was worried because in this uh, room uh, of clearance, uh, not only were there sexaholics, but there was all these other church groups and all them people, you know. And, uh, and I felt a little uncomfortable, but um, um, we we started going on February 1st, and I was going there to help them. Uh, right? You've all been there? Um, and I found out uh, very very fast after the very first meeting. Of course, I was overcoming an awful lot of other fears of what it's like to go into a prison and uh, what they might do to me, you know, walking through the yard. I was amazed at how free everyone was there in the yard. I mean, we were walking back and forth uh, with each other and uh, got to the meeting, and there were about six or seven uh, already there at the meeting. No, I'm sorry, there were nine. There were nine that first meeting. That, but they've been meeting since November. So, um, when they talked about one, someone says used the word. Uh, well, what about the our guest here? And another prisoner said, "Guest, uh, guest." He says, uh, and it hit me immediately that we're both we're all sexaholics. We're all sexaholics. We're brothers. Um, we're brothers in this together. And from that point on, yes, we might be on the outside, but they're on the inside. And we're all, you know, but you've heard that saying, and this is where the real reality is. But for the grace of God, you know, there am I. I am there. Uh, so I learned real fast. Uh, who's to help me? And it really helps me stay sober. Talk about a reality check. Go to prison, volunteer. If you haven't done it, I highly, I can't underline that. I really highly recommend it. Uh, if you're really serious about recovery for yourselves, and if, in the process, you help them. Um, you help our uh, fellow sexaholics who happen to be, get caught. That's the only difference between you and I. They got caught. Um, and In fact, they named the group uh, Reality Group. Uh, and it is. It's a reality group. In fact, I am ever so grateful when I go through that last click, click door. Uh, and yes, it's, sometimes it's embarrassing when they uh, pad you down. Um, that really touches my uh, addiction uh, or my whole personhood. But I realize they go through it. I see it out there in the yard. I see them going through it all the time. Uh, it helps me to uh, appreciate what they go through as what you've gone through as individuals. Um, it helps me um, to stay sober. Going to one meeting is like going to an international conference. Every meeting is like an international conference. So what the benefit you get out of this weekend, go to one meeting. Wow, it's so uh, packed up. Uh, I am also, and we are also, and they are very grateful that uh, we are able to go there. Um, now, there's a few other prisons in our area who do not have SA. They are, of all the programs, um, they say it. Um, because one of the issues right away when we started going there was the honesty issue and the trust issue. Uh, 
how do we know you're not one, part of the system here, the prison system, and you're not going to, you know, you heard it from them. How do you know you, you're not going to tell someone and they're going to, you know, all the stuff? And we struggled with that. We talked about it, you know, that issue, the anonymity uh, issue, uh, uh, sharing honestly. And because we shared honestly with them, they began to share honestly with us. And it was coming to international conferences that I heard that, being gut honest over and over again. It was also uh, sitting here right where you are, who are possibly down the road thinking about going into prison to be a volunteer. It was your example and uh, of doing it that gave me the courage to go there. And um, And I'm not a real courageous person, you know, I just happen to say yes and just follow through with it. If there's anything I could say, because I asked them, I, they knew I'm coming here today, they're praying for me, and they said, you know, just tell them, there's a few empty chairs here for them to come, because they, they want they want even our local people, because some of our local people don't want to you know, go there. And they said, tell them there's a few empty chairs here, and they made it two different ways. As a volunteer, or if you keep acting out, you're going to get caught. And uh, so it was real sobering. Uh, they also said, just remind them, as we see here, we're just like you. We're human. We're sexaholics. And so they really were, they, now they didn't use these words, but it was an attitude if I was to interpret it. But they really weren't doing it. They weren't begging, but I would say, they're they're pleading, we need you. We need good, sober, recovering sexaholics. We need to hear that. We need to hear that. We need to know know that there's hope. And you and I are the only ones who can carry, well, I won't say the only ones. We are some of the people who can carry that message into uh, the prison. So they're, they're grateful that we come there. I am very grateful that I have the opportunity to go there. It's challenging me, and I know I don't like like to hear this challenge. It's coming from within myself in our local county prison. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that there's probably a few sexaholics there, too, who aren't in recovery and need recovering program. Uh, I guess that's all I need to share, and so I'm going to shut up. Thanks. Hi, I'm Keith. I'm addicted to sex. Hi, Keith. been sober uh, eight years, and I'm from the home group here in in the Detroit area. I've been um, going to the Oakland County Jail conducting religious services for eight, ten years, I often, when I give a homily to them, uh, say, you know, the only reason you're there and I'm here is I didn't get caught. And I very often refer to the first three steps of the 12-step program. And uh, that's been uh, very helpful to many of them. Afterwards, we have about 15 that can come, and we meet in the the hallway, as a matter of fact. And while we're milling around after the service, uh, they're waiting for the guard to come and get them. They're chatting with me, and they're saying, oh, what, uh, what? are you addicted? Yeah. What's your, is it drug? No. Uh, a drink? Uh, no. Ah, women. 
they they caught on to me like right away. Um, it's very difficult to get programs going in in jails. Uh, William has been very uh, uh, he's handed us a lot of names of prisoners in Michigan and out of Michigan, as a matter of fact. And we have a we have a very strong large group uh, in in this area. And whenever I give a name out, two or three people are ready to grab it. And so we have a lot of people writing to fellows in jail. One of the fellows is in Detroit at a facility there. And he wanted to start an SA program. Well, they told him he has to have bylaws. So he got bylaws. He said, well, you have to have officers for the club. There are four, four officers. He got those. Now you have to have an outside sponsor. So I went and met with him. I volunteered to be the outside sponsor. I said, what's next? Well, it has to go to Lansing. Been months and months. No word from him, no word from Lansing, no word from the the, uh, the, the person psychologist. I called, I called, I wrote, nothing. It just died on the vine. So a lot of bureaucracy is is in the way. Before this conference, William suggested that we try to go to Jackson State Prison, which is 60, 70, 80 miles down the road. So Thursday night, nine of us from Canada and the United States, a um, few from our home group as well, went over there, had an SA meeting with seven of their prisoners. Now they're celebrating two years anniversary of an SA program in that prison, which is quite rare. Uh, we asked him what he wants to do. We want to see how you run a meeting. So we had a meeting. And everything that's been said about the benefit of doing that for them and for us is undeniable. Undeniable. We came away, all of us from our home group, there were five of us, said, let's do this on a monthly basis, on a regular basis. And that's what we're going to do. Um, nice thing about conferences is networking. Ran into Maryland, haven't seen in 15 years, my first false entree into an S program, um, got talking. She talked about doing uh, jail work with women in prison. And Kathy and our group has been doing ministry in jails for a long time, but not SA. She couldn't go with us because they were men. She wants to work with women, made the connection yesterday, and hopefully she's on her way. Nothing like it. It obviously and definitely will do more for you than for them, but certainly for both. Thank you. Now we'll open the the mic to the floor for questions or and or sharing. We do remind you that this is a tape meeting in the spirit of the twelfth step. The tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you don't want to be taped, we suggest that you um, uh, talk to us outside. And um, uh, so are there comments or questions from members of the group? Paul? Yeah, why don't you? I'm Paul, uh, grateful recovering sexaholic. And... Um, um, I've been uh, 
a member of SACC for a couple of months, um, doing correspondence, and um, I also um, go to a meeting that we have in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Um, now it meets every Tuesday. I go there on a regular basis. I'm not one of the five individuals that's been trained by the prison system to do this, but I asked to do it, and uh, they said they had enough volunteers, but I, um, I'm i in an unemployment situation right now, and um, this is one of my regular meetings, and it is the highlight of the uh, the week for me as far as meetings go. Um, I don't know whether the prisoners get anything out of it. Well, I do. I mean, the gratitude is definitely um, something that's a boon uh, to participating in it. But uh, I certainly get a lot out of it. Um, it's very uh, gratifying to realize that uh, I'm going to be leaving that prison. I'm going to be appreciating the sunny day outside. I'm going to be appreciating my freedom and uh, realizing that, uh, you know, but for the grace of God, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, I need to add that I'm also facing um, uh, legal charges. I'm the uh, defendant in a criminal case in the state of Florida, a misdemeanor case, uh, for making uh, harassing phone calls. So uh, I'm one who has been caught. Phone sex has been a major part of my life. And um, um, I just wanted to say that it's definitely a worthwhile program. Uh, some of the things that we um, we try and do in the in the prison... Uh, we do mention that we are from AA, uh, and that's to protect ourselves, and it's also to protect the inmates primarily. A uh, few people do know that we're from SA, but when we sign in, uh, we mention that we're from another fellowship. And um, um, I recommend getting a post office box if you're going to do any corresponding. In fact, that's something that William um, and the SACC recommended. And... Uh, the writing, I guess, has been a, mainly to have, mainly it's helped me. Uh, very few of the people actually wrote back. Um, I think I scared them when I told them that uh, um, I'd be willing to talk with them, and I suggested that they read the AA Big Book and then and then write back. And I don't know whether it was because they didn't have the AA Big Book in prison or whether they just didn't want to talk about recovery at that particular point in time. But uh, I guess I scared them off. Um, but it helps me to stay sober, and um, this meeting has been the best part of the conference for me so far, and um, I'm really on fire to do the work and to attend this meeting, and I'll be sad when uh, when employment finally does come my way because I won't be able to attend this Tuesday afternoon meeting, but I'll still be able to, um, um, to correspond, and uh, I look forward to doing that. Thank you. While Bob's coming up, we do have a post office appeal box, and, and that is the only way to go for correspondence. I'll just stand up here. Um, I volunteered right away when I heard that our home group, I'm from the Michigan home group. By the way, my name is Bob. I'm a sexaholic. I'm from Farmington Hills, Michigan, and I attend the same home group that Keith had talked about earlier. Um, and we found out through Keith that we were going to have an opportunity to go to Jackson State um, being a native of Michigan, I've known about Jackson State all of my life. In the 70s and 80s, um, I got out of high school at the end of the 70s. 
and throughout that 70s and 80s period of time, basically the inmates kind of ran that prison. Prior to making some significant changes to the real estate in that prison to somewhat break it up so it was more manageable, uh, corrections officers um, were playing a different role there then than they are now. And I can remember uh, as an outsider, not ever having even been to that place, but being intimidated by knowing it's there because of some of the things I had heard about that happened to people who go there. Uh, today it's very different there. In fact, the prison shows beautifully. It's a, it's a, as, as pretty as a prison can be, I guess. The grounds are kept um, in the places in, well, in good order, and clearly uh, the corrections officers run it. Um, but it's still very intimidating, and I went there for the first time Thursday night. Um, as a sex addict, deep down I knew I wasn't very far ever from being able to be in that mode, possibly level four, level five maximum, as a who knows what. Um, and I even have um, a young man who's 17 uh, in my family who's a convicted pedophile. And, and that's been an issue for me in my recovery because there's all kinds of mixed emotions about that. And for me to go to Jackson State and, and go through the humbling experience of entering that place, even as a visitor, I think maybe I got a chance at doing a little of the, the amends of my own addiction and maybe reaching out to people who are like my, my great nephew. So it was probably um, one of the most intimidating places to visit I've ever been and singly the most valuable meeting as a sex addict I've ever been to. And I will be a part of the group that goes there monthly, and I pray that we can make that happen. Any of you who've toyed with the idea of your value to a prisoner, I can remember calling Keith and saying, what do I got to say to a guy in prison? He says, well, maybe you just don't say anything. Maybe you just show up. And, you know, maybe you just show up. Maybe you just show up. Because that guy will know then that there's somebody on the outside that struggles too. So, thanks. We actually, to honor the time of ending at 11.30 or going after Mary, going to need to um, um, close off the tape portion of the meeting. Um uh, but I'm going to give Mary a chance to make some comments. I'm Mary. I'm a sexaholic. <laughs> and um, actually, in uh, 96, I got a job working for a Jewish program as a counselor and going into prisons. And uh <laughs> was it was just an amazing experience. Um, it was kind of funny because at that time I had long hair and uh, I had no idea, you know, I was clueless. So I, I'm thinking I have to get up early and I, at CMC, which is in uh, Northern California, it's going to take three hours to get there from L.A. So I thought, okay, I'm going to just wash my hair, put it up in a bun and go on down there. So I'm thinking I'm very smart about that. And also being a, a recovering sexaholic and going into a prison with men, um, you know, 
being aware of my dress and being appropriate and everything. So, um, although I wasn't going as a sexaholic, I was going as a counselor. Um, and uh, anyway, so we get there. We have to go through, of course, the, the, the metal detectors. I've got about a ton of bobby pins in my hair because <laughs> I was clueless. So I took them out and... Uh, Anyway, then I put my hair back up and then had to go through another gate because I didn't realize we had to go through two. It was maximum. Anyway, um, working, one of the things that I recognized working with, um, I worked with murderers, rapists, everyone, was the pain. You know, I could feel their pain. And, um, and I have issues. You know, I'm an incest, rape, sexual abuse survivor and have done a lot of work on that area. So it was um, it was just heartwarming to be there and sense that they were just in as, just as much pain on that side as I was on the other side. And um, the other thing that... Uh, was interesting, and, and you probably find that to be so. I mean, and they couldn't have essay meetings in there, but they loved having case managers come in and work with them. They, they were, a lot of the men were hungry for, you know, some way to uh, work through their issues. And, um, but there were some who, you know, you sense some are going to get out and do this all over again, and some aren't. So it's not, you know, I mean, there is a reality check, you know, and you focus on, the, you really focus on the ones who want what you have. Um, and how, okay, need to close. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you all for coming. Uh, thank you to those who shared. Um, just a reminder that we have these packets that are available if you haven't uh, gotten one and are interested. Uh, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. What we say here, let it stay here. Uh, would everyone please uh, uh, join hands as best you can and we will close with the third step prayer. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.